Hey everyone, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com and welcome to another Riding for a Lifetime podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to share four exercises that I think are very important for mountain bikers to use. You could call them uh, MTB specific exercises uh, that maybe not everyone is using but should be using. Now, if you've been following my stuff for any length of time, you've probably heard of these exercises, hopefully incorporated them into your routine, but I just wanted to share them with everyone and just make sure that uh, people knew what these exercises were, what they did for them as mountain bikers, and how to get the most out of them, because that's the other thing you may know about the exercises, but uh, if you get the wrong sets and reps or kind of advice on how to use it, then you may not be getting the most out of it. So uh, first, what are MTB-specific exercises, right? So this term, MTB-specific training, gets thrown around a lot, but what does it really mean? Now, at its core, it means using a training program that helps you ride faster, longer, and with more skill on the trail. That's the ultimate goal, right? Like, we're not working out in the gym to get better at working out. We are getting, we're working out to get better at both you know, riding our bikes and also being able to uh, survive this game of life you know, as we get older. You know, the 40 plus riders definitely got some other considerations that they have to think about. So we wanna be able to feel and perform better both on and off of the bike. And so uh, to that end, we wanna have a training program that helps us do that. And again, this you know, term MTB specific gets uh, used a lot and it can get overused. Now, the, you know, the most MTB specific thing that you can do is ride your bike. I think sometimes that gets lost in the conversation as well. This is one of the reasons that I'm not a big fan of riding a road bike to train for mountain biking. Uh, again, we're like one of the only, uh, athletes that are told, Hey, go practice this other sport to get better at your sport, right? That's like telling, a a baseball player that, that playing golf in the off season is going to help their uh, their their baseball uh, skills or swing, right? It's like well they're they're both swinging something at a ball, right? But we know just like well there's big differences between swinging a ball in a baseball game context and swinging at a ball in a golfing context, and so uh, you know being told that hey you know you're a cyclist quote unquote. Uh, cyclist, this general term that incorporates a lot of different disciplines. And so you need to uh, ride a road bike in order to get better in the off season to work on your cardio. And again, is it better than doing nothing? Yes. But being able to ride your mountain bike should take precedence. And so if you have the ability to continue to ride all year round, even during the off season, you should do that. Although you should still have some some time during the year where you are emphasizing your off the bike training, right? So all this really means in my mind, people get a little uh, wrapped around the axle in, in season versus off season training. And again, if you if you live somewhere where the weather forces you off the trail, then it can be a little more obvious. But if you ride, you know, live somewhere where that's not the case, then really what this means is you have a period during the time of the year where your training is taking the the precedent, right? So if you're going to be uh, sore and tired from training and that's going to affect your riding, obviously you don't want this to be happening during the riding season, especially if you're racing, right? Your training should not be detracting from your ability to ride hard and perform well on the trail. 
but there should be periods of time, and that would be the quote-unquote off-season, where you flip that. And even though you still are getting out and riding, if possible, you are taking into account that like, hey, I may not be able to ride at my top you know, level because I'm going to be a little sore and fatigued from my off-the-bike training. But that off-the-bike training is going to help build the strength and the cardio and just kind of the general fitness skills that I need in order to help me take my riding to a higher level. So you definitely do benefit from uh, spending time off of the bike. Uh, so again, there's kind of a balance there. But you know, just remember that the most MTB-specific thing that you can do is <clears throat> ride your bike. Now, in the gym, right, we want to be doing uh, strength training that improves your strength and movement quality in ways that help your riding. And that movement quality, I think, is kind of the, the, the thing that we want to pay attention to as mountain bikers because, again, if we're in the gym and we're working out, we're, we don't just want to lift more weights and do more reps. We want to make sure that we are moving in a way that's going to help us move better on the bike, right? So for example, like doing a, a deadlift, if, if your goal is to just lift as much weight as possible, then you may end up doing some things and, and using some form that doesn't actually transfer over to the bike as effectively. So you want to be making sure that you're maintaining good form and, and good movement quality. And if you don't have that movement quality, then making sure you're doing things to help improve that. So mobility training, stretching, uh, things like that to kind of help your movement quality. And then once you have good movement quality, you should be using strength training to strengthen and stress proof that, that movement quality. And so that's really kind of the ultimate goal of our gym time as mountain bikers. And, you know, again, so uh, strength is one of the more general physical attributes. And what this means is that what works for an athlete in one sport will generally work for another. About 80 to 90% of what you do with an athlete will be the same from sport to sport. But again, there are some MTB specific things that you can do to enhance your results. So that, you know, that, that extra 10 to 20% can make a difference but again it kind of goes to the uh you know the the, the Pareto principle the 80 20 rule that 80 percent of your results comes from 20 percent of what you can do and so you want to make sure that you have these these basic things in place right and so uh again one of the things that sometimes gets thrown around as an mtb specific way to train is is it's like hey you know this is an endurance sport we're doing a lot of reps uh, you know, pedaling and stuff on the trail. So in the gym, we need to be focused on lighter weights and higher reps because that's what's more specific to mountain biking. And that is not MTB specific strength training. Okay. So that is, uh, you, you do need to work on getting stronger. So don't, that's the first thing is don't make the mistake that you need to be using light loads and higher reps because you need to build more endurance. Again, there may be a time and a place for that in your program, but that's not uh, the quote-unquote MTB-specific way to train. So in general, getting stronger in the two to four sets uh, of five to ten reps range will get you what you need. Like you want to be spending the bulk of your time in that area, right? Two to four sets, five to ten reps, just focusing on getting stronger within that range. Now, again, how, how much that is can kind of be individual, right? Like you may find that 
uh, two sets works fine for you. You're, you're getting stronger. You're getting a little sore after you work out. That's great. You may find that that's not the case. You need to add a little bit more volume. Um, there's definitely benefit from spending time outside of this range, right? So like that, that five to 10 rep range. Uh, so doing reps below five to get uh, really work on, on maximum strength. That is definitely uh, something that you can benefit from. And doing higher reps, like getting up into the 12, 15 plus reps. I've talked again uh, a lot about the importance of building muscle and having some bodybuilding type emphasis in your program as we get older to help uh, add muscle and, and help fight the, the loss of muscle as we get older. And so, uh, but that five to 10 rep range is gonna, it's a, it's a nice little sweet spot where you're, you're gonna work on strength and you're gonna be working on some hypertrophy. And so again, uh, in, in general, you wanna be spending the bulk of your time in that uh, set and rep range. Um, you also wanna be focusing on the basic movement patterns, which are push, pull, squat, and hinge. Again, with push, you can have uh, vertical and horizontal pushing, so think like bench press and shoulder press. Uh, same thing with pulls, uh, you know, uh, vertical and horizontal, you know, think like a barbell row and a chin up, right? So there's, there's different types of pushing and pulling that you can do. Uh, you got your squatting, you've got your hinging, which is your, your deadlifting type movements. Even within that, you can be having single leg and, and double leg movements. And so there's a lot of uh, variety within that, but you want to be making sure that, that you are focusing on the basics, right? You're, you're working on, on push, pull, squat, hinge. You're working on getting stronger in that two to four sets of five to 10 reps range. And that should be a, 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 a central focus of your, your sets and reps and, and exercises. Uh, but once you, once you have those basics covered, right, that's that, that 80 to 90% of what you know, really any athlete would benefit from, once you've got that in place, there are some specific things and, and exercises that you can do to help your MTB specific results. And so that's what I want to get into now is sharing like what are these exercises that in my opinion, this is what really separates when I'm looking at a program and someone's like, hey, this is a mountain bike specific program. First thing I look for is like, okay, are they covering the basics, right? Are they just getting really fancy and trying to bullshit people with, you know, dazzle them with, with, with nonsense and, and uh, you know, high reps and, and low weight and like silly looking exercises where you're, you know, balancing on a BOSU ball or something because, hey, we need to work on our balance, which is another thing that gets really over uh, overblown. Um, right. Again, like just looking around on, on social media, you see some pretty ridiculous shit that is billed as MTB specific. And again, a lot of it just is preying on people's ignorance of what really should be going on with a good uh, training program and, and then what makes it a good mountain bike specific training program. So the first thing I look for is, is this an actual real strength training program or is this a bunch of fluff and bullshit to try to like dazzle people and, and seem you know fancy and, and, and really isn't helping them, okay? So, and again, I, I do that by looking at, you know, push, pull, squat, hinge. Are these movement patterns there? You know, the sets and rep ranges, what are they working in? And so that gives me an idea like, okay, they're, they're covering the basics. And then I start to look for these exercises that I'm about to uh, share with you. And if I see these exercises in there, then I know the person who wrote that program really does understand mountain biking, the movement skills behind mountain biking, 
and how to use the gym to help improve those things. And again, if I don't see these things, it's a good general strength training program, but I wouldn't really chalk it up to and call it a true MTB specific training program. So the number one movement, and again, I, I talk about this one a lot, and that is the windmill exercise. Uh, this is the one exercise that I wish every mountain biker would add to their program. This is a super important movement. It is a, it's the, the central movement pattern behind cornering on your bike. And it is the number one reason that most riders struggle with cornering. <clears throat> it's not a lack of knowledge. Again, like there's plenty of knowledge out there for how to corner properly, yet it remains one of the, the skills that most riders say that they struggle with and need to work on. And it's because they just simply lack the movement pattern, the core movement pattern behind the cornering skill. And that is this windmill movement. Um, it's also an essential skill for riding switchbacks. Like when you couple the, the windmill movement skill with track stands, your ability to you know, track stands are basically slow speed balance, right? Like what's slower than not moving at all, right? And so if you can balance without moving at all, then you have good, excellent, really slow speed balance. And a lot of riders struggle with track stands, which means that they struggle with slow speed balance. And so you combine these two things. They, they don't have the, the ability to twist their body in the correct way to corner. And then they don't have slow uh, speed balance and then you put them in a switchback, which requires both of those things, and they, they freaking struggle with it. And again, it's not a lack of knowledge, it's just a lack of core movement skills and, and kind of uh, balance skills that's leading to this problem. So again, this is a, a super important movement. Like I said, if, if you guys take nothing else from this, make sure that you are using the windmill in your uh, program. Now, the, the windmill is a, a, you know, I have links in the show notes. And if you're uh, subscribed to my newsletter, when I send out the, the alert uh, with, the, with the podcast notes um, for the new podcast, I have the links in that. So if you're not signed up to that, make sure you go to bikejames.com and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, so I have links to all of these exercises in the newsletter or the show notes. And so you can go and, and see them, um, how they're performed. But in general, you're getting into a, a pedal stance, right? So your feet are in the same basic position as if you were, were standing on your pedals. And then what you're doing is you're shifting your weight back to the, to the back leg while you're rotating your shoulders and, and hinging back. So it's kind of a, it's a rotational hinge. Um, it, when you do this movement, a lot of people struggle to keep their weight on the back leg and they find their weight tipping forward to the front leg. And if they can even perform the movement, a lot of people are just really tight in the, in the thoracic spine, the upper back and the hips. And so they have trouble like actually creating this movement. Uh, and if they are doing it, a lot of times they're twisting too much in the lower back. And so again, if you have uh, back problems on the bike, this may be one of the reasons. Um, but if you are, if you're leaning forward, then you're basically tipping over instead of corkscrewing your way down. You want to be able to corkscrew your way down, which means that you're, you're able to keep balance between your feet. If anything, you feel your weight kind of shifting to that back leg. Now, if you can't do this and you're tipping over, then this is, uh, gonna, this is leaning inside of a corner. Right, and so this is one of a, a major 
reason that people crash on corners. Um, and this is also where you get the, 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 the terrible advice to lean your bike and not your body. That is absolutely wrong. You have to lean your body to corner properly. But if you can't lean your body in a balanced way, then you're going to end up like tipping over and getting your weight too far to the inside. And then that's where the bike washes out from underneath you and you crash real hard. And so again, in the absence of knowing how to fix this problem through fixing the actual movement behind the skill, the skills training industry has adopted this ridiculous lean your bike and not your body uh, advice, which is definitely a safer way to do it, right? If you're if you don't lean your body, then you don't have to worry about tipping over and leaning your weight too far inside, and that can avoid some of these crashes. But you're also not going to corner properly. You're also not going to corner as, as best you can. And so you, the the idea is you need to learn how to lean your body and corkscrew your body properly and do it in a balanced way. That's what's going to lead to really opening up your ability to corner. And so, um, so this is the, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can start out with this with a stick, right? I, I recommend that you don't even start using any weight on this. So putting like a, a broomstick or something uh, on your back, kind of like in a, in a back squat position and, and then doing the movement from there, that's a really great mobility movement and something that you can do on a daily basis. Uh, you can also weight the exercise by holding a weight over your head, uh, you can also use a steel mace, again, placing it on your back, kind of in like a back squat position, and whatever side the mace head is on will actually kind of change the dynamics of the movement, so I like to do it uh, you know, both ways with the mace, where the mace head ends up pointing towards the ground, and then when I'm down, where the mace head ends up pointing towards the ceiling, and so there's, there's different ways to weight it, but you, you don't even have to get to where you're using weight on it. If you just simply do the stick windmill, as it's called, uh, you will improve your cornering skills. And again, a lot of this came to my uh, attention when working with clients and I would get feedback from people that like, man, my cornering is really improving. And we weren't actually doing anything in the skills area with cornering. And I started to realize that it was this windmill movement that I, I, I love programming this windmill movement in. I think that it's just, it's a great movement. It really helps keep you mobile in a, in a healthy way. And so I started to realize that, man, people doing this windmill movement, without them even working on their cornering skills, they're getting better at cornering simply because they're able to move better on the bike while performing this, this movement. And so, again, if you just did the windmill, the stick windmill, you know, a couple sets of five every day for 30 days, I guarantee you at the end of that 30 days, you would be cornering better, even if you did absolutely nothing uh, as far as working on your actual cornering skills. And so it's, it, can, it can make a pretty dramatic impact on your, uh, on your riding. So again, uh, I recommend checking out the videos that I have posted at bikejames.com. You can go there and search for uh, windmill and you'll find a bunch of posts on it. You know, search for stick windmill, you'll find specific stuff on that. But I've got a lot of different stuff. And again, I've got a, uh, a, a link to one of my articles and this got video demos of it in the, in the show notes. And so uh, another thing that you can do with this is work out the differences between your right and left uh, sided cornering. And again, this is another thing that, that I, I highly recommend, but for some reason it's kind of a controversial thing to say, but like you need to be able to ride switch foot. You need to be able to ride with either foot forward 
and it's very important for cornering. And if you have your inside foot forward, so if you're going into a left-hand corner and you have your left foot forward, you're gonna be able to execute the movement better than if you have the right foot forward. Again, it's not that you can't corner and do it pretty well with the outside foot forward, but the way that your body moves and the way that you can weight and put pressure into the, the, the tires, that outside pedal, uh, it will benefit from you being able to ride with the inside foot forward. And so you'll probably find, I, and again, this is kind of a little party trick I can do with riders. I, you know, I ask them, which, which foot do you like to ride forward with? And then I can automatically tell them, well, that's the side that you like to corner better. You corner better. So if you ride with your right foot forward, then you corner better to the right than you do to the left. And it's almost 100% accurate, right? And so again, I don't know why it's so controversial the, to say that you, you need to be able to ride switch foot because it's pretty obvious that what foot forward you have makes a difference. Um, but by using the windmill, you'll be able to help iron out those differences between your, your corkscrewing movement with the right foot forward and the left foot forward. And that's gonna make you a more effective switch foot rider, which is gonna make you a more effective rider in, in general. So with this movement, I recommend doing two sets of five reps. Like that's plenty for that. You don't need to be going super high reps. You know, it's 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 more about the movement quality than than really trying to like get crazy with this. Um, so, but again, I if you can do the stick windmill on a daily basis as part of your mobility plan, that will really really benefit you as well. So, uh, so that's the first one, which is the the windmill. The second one is an elevated lunge. Now, this is something I've started using a few months ago. And so it's kind of something new in my arsenal, but I really like it for helping to improve a rider's standing pedaling ability. Again, the lunging uh, movement pattern is the pattern behind your standing pedaling. And a lot of riders struggle with this movement, especially being able to maintain a strong posture while they're performing a, a lunge, right? If you're doing a, a reverse lunge and you're not able to maintain a completely upright torso while you're doing it and you find that you kind of, as you step back, you lean forward a little bit and as you come up, you come back up, right? Again, a little bit is fine, but a lot of riders really rely on using the, 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 the low back on some level to help them perform a lunging movement. And then they also struggle with standing pedaling. And again, standing pedaling is a skill. It's something that you have to work on to get better at. And it's something that I think that, that riders would greatly, greatly uh, benefit from spending more time working on their standing pedaling and not relying on seated pedaling as much. And so uh, the, the elevated lunge is a great way to work on this. <clears throat> it's kind of a cross between a step up and a lunge. Right, so with a lunge, usually your foot is just on the floor. Uh, with a step up, your your front foot's usually on a box that's relatively high, right? Like a couple feet high, um, you know, about like level with your your knee of your other leg. And so this is kind of in between. So what you would do is get a box that's like six to twelve inches high and standing on it, and then step back into a reverse lunge. And that extra six to twelve inches range of motion is going to make a difference. Uh, a big difference in uh, your in, in what's going on there. So um, being able to do this movement uh, without rounding the back, right? It's really going to work on that range of motion in the hip flexors. A lot of riders have tight hip flexors, and so they get to a certain point where they can't 
flex into their hips anymore. And so they end up having to start rounding at the lower back. And so what this elevated lunge does, is it really helps work on that, that range of motion in the hip flexors. Uh, plus this elevated lunge targets the glutes a bit more because at that bottom position with the foot being elevated, the front foot being elevated a little bit, you do get more of a stretch at the bottom in the glutes. And the glutes are one of the powerhouses of the lower body. And so this is gonna help with both pedaling power, but hey, it's also gonna help uh, looking good naked, which never hurts, right? So uh, having a nice butt so you look good from behind is uh, a nice little bonus from, uh, from doing this exercise. Now with this exercise, this is one that I would recommend doing the two to four sets of five to 10 reps with, uh, starting with a six inch high box and you can work up to you know 12 inches, maybe a little bit higher than that um, to, to, as a way to progress the movement as well. And so, uh, but anyway, so that's how I would, I'd recommend working that into your routine. Again, if you're doing uh, lunges, then just try doing the elevated lunge. And if you're not doing lunges, then you should be doing lunges because this will really help your, your standing pedaling power and ability to maintain a good, strong torso when you stand up to pedal. And so, uh, so that's the elevated lunge. The next exercise is the bent press. Uh, again, this is one that I did a, uh, a post on uh, not too long ago. I guess it's been a couple months now, but I got a lot of good feedback on this one. This is a forgotten exercise from the history of strength training. It used to be a contested lift in old-time strongman competitions, like from the late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, but it fell out of favor with the popularity of bodybuilding. And it is a hybrid exercise that combines the windmill movement with a shoulder press. So I would recommend that you get the windmill movement itself down. Once you're able to perform the windmill movement comfortably, then you can start adding in the bent press. Now with the bent press, you basically have a weight uh, you're holding in the like shoulder level kind of rack position. Uh, and then you're going to perform your windmill movement, right? Shifting the, the weight back to the back leg, uh, you know, hinging down towards the ground as you as you rotate your shoulders. Uh, and as you do that, you're gonna straighten your arm out. If you do this correctly, you won't actually press the weight, right? You will move under the weight. And as you're moving away from the weight and under it, you're straightening your arm out. And then at, you get to the bottom, the arm should be locked out. And then you bring yourself back up with the arm still locked out overhead. Uh, again, I've got a video uh, demo of this exercise that, that you can check out at bikejames.com. Just doing, you know, searching for bent press. I got the link in the show notes. Um, and this is a great exercise for improving both your cornering ability because we are working on that windmill movement and also your shoulder stability because you're, you're working your shoulder through a, a, a larger range of motion than with a standard shoulder press. It's also a way to introduce heavier loads like you can usually bent press more than you can shoulder press because again if you're if you're doing this properly you never actually press the weight right you're, you're moving under the weight until you lock your arm out and then once you've got the structure of your arm being locked out holding the weight you're using your 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 hips basically to hinge back up to the upright position and your hips are, are the strongest muscles in the body so you're able to get that weight up and and have like a pretty good weight uh, overhead. And again, you don't have to use like super heavy weights to, to benefit from this exercise, but it is a, a good way to work on your, your shoulder stability 
And, you know, especially if you're coming back from, uh, you know, some sort of shoulder injury, I find it to be a good one for helping to, to rehab the shoulder and get it back up to speed. Um, I recommend doing two to four sets of three to five reps with this exercise uh, because it is a, a bigger movement and, and there's a lot more going on. I don't usually like to program higher reps with this, so I will usually stick to like that three to five rep range with it. Uh, but again, that's just my my personal preference, what I found to to work best with this movement. But again, the bent press is a, a great way to kind of also save time, right? Because if you're, you're short on time and you're looking for ways to kind of combine some movements doing a bent press, well, you can check off the windmill check and a, a vertical press, right? So you're able to check off both of those movements with this one exercise. Uh, but it's also just fun to do if you haven't done it before. Again, get your windmill up to speed and then you can try this and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun movement to do. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, but again, it's a good uh, one to be adding to your program. And so finally, the fourth exercise that I think is, is extremely mountain bike specific is the dumbbell cheat curl. And so this is the best exercise you can do to improve your MTB specific explosive hip hinge. And your explosive hip hinge is super important for manualing, bunny hopping, and jumping. All of these skills are kind of in the same family and they all rely on your ability to use this explosive hip hinge to create a dynamic movement on the bike. Now, uh, to do it, you start with a dumbbell. You can either have the dumbbells in each hand down by your side or you can have them up by your shoulders and then let them drop down. But you're basically uh, using, you're, you're driving your hips back kind of like you're doing like a, a quarter deadlift or half deadlift. And then you're exploding back into the starting position. So you think about like driving the hips back, the, the dumbbells swing back. I recommend if you're doing this properly, basically your biceps should stay connected to your ribs the whole time. So you don't want them to, to you know, be in front of or behind your ribs. You want them to stay connected. So as your, as your hips go back, then the dumbbells will swing back. And then as the hips come forward, the dumbbells will swing up to, uh, you're basically doing like a cheat curl, right? Instead of curling the weights using your biceps, you're using the momentum to curl the weight up to that, that top position where the, the weights are up by your shoulders. And again, you can check out uh, the video demos uh, through the show notes or at bikejams.com looking for a cheat curl. Um, and so you can do this movement in, in a bunch of different ways, right? You can do it kneeling, half kneeling. You can do it in a pedal stance, which makes it extremely mountain bike specific. And the, the position of your legs, because you have your legs narrower and you can even put them in a pedal stance, uh, makes this a much more MTB specific exercise than the vaunted kettlebell swing. Again, kettlebell swing is okay. Uh, I still use it, but when you're talking about MTB specific exercises and you look at, you know, how how you're set up for a, a a kettlebell swing, your legs are wide and your hands are inside of your legs. That is not how you are on the bike. On the bike, your feet are narrower, about hip width apart, and your hands are outside of your hips, and so that context matters. And, and so again, like, you know, doing swings will definitely help, but the, the dumbbell cheat curl because of the way that you're able to position your legs makes it a much, much more specific uh, movement for us to, to mimic the, that explosive hip hinge that we need 
on the bike. And, uh, you know, with this exercise, I recommend doing, uh, again, two to four sets of three to five reps. And again, I know I'm kind of like breaking the rule that I talked about, like most things should be in that five to 10 rep range. But again, remember I talked about like, once you've got that in place, then we can start adding some MTB specific things that may break some of those rules a little bit. And again, this is one of those. And the reason that I like to do the three to five reps is because we want to be working on power. Right? And, and to work on power, that is best done with low reps. So you can really focus on the explosiveness and power in the movement. You don't want fatigue becoming a factor. So if you're doing you know, 10, 15 reps of this exercise, fatigue becomes a factor. And again, if you're, if you're working on that, you're trying to work on power endurance, then that's great. But if we're working on just power, then we need to be keeping the reps uh, in the, the five rep range, give or take uh, a little bit there. So that's why I like the three to five rep range uh, with this, uh, this exercise. And so again, higher reps can work on conditioning, but most riders simply need to get more explosive with this movement. And so that's why I like to, uh, like to do that. So, uh, so there you have it. You got four exercises. You've got the, the windmill, the elevated lunge, the bent press, and the uh, dumbbell cheat curl. And those four exercises, again, in, in my opinion, are very important for mountain bikers to have in their program. Uh, they're one of the things that I look for in a mountain bike specific training program to really tell me, like, does this person truly understand the, the movement skills behind mountain biking and then how to use the gym to help improve those movement skills. Um, so by adding these exercises into your routine, you can make sure you're getting the most out of your gym time. Um, you know, the, the windmill, again, the stick windmill, something you can be doing on a daily basis, uh, elevated lunge, you know, if you're doing any sort of lunging, then it's easy to add that in. Uh, the bent press is a good one to, you, you know, if you're doing any sort of, of shoulder pressing, which you should be doing, then this is one you can, can substitute in for that one. And the dumbbell cheat curl, if you're doing swings or some other type of explosive movement, then you can substitute this one in for that. So, you know, if you, if you have a program that you like and you don't uh, have these exercises in it, then those are kind of good swaps that you can make uh, for, from exercises that you should be doing already uh, for these and, uh, you know, to help you get a little bit more mountain bike specific results from your training program. Uh, now, if you need a program that incorporates these things into it, uh, be sure to check out the Ultimate MTB Workout Program. That is my annual uh, covers everything training program. It's the only training program like it on, or you know, uh, it's the only training program that covers everything that you need as a mountain biker in the way that it does. Right? It's got a, a six-month in-season, a six-month off-season training program. We cover uh, mobility, uh, you know, mindset. We cover skills or, you know, there's a monthly skills training plan that goes along with the strength training plan. So I think that's, that's very important because if you're, if, you know, you're kind of picking a cardio program from here and a strength program from here and a skills training plan from here, and they're not really like integrated in with each other, then you may not be getting the best results possible from the, the time that you're spending. And so by having a training program that incorporates all these things and, and integrates them in together, you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. And again, that's what I, I set out to do. And I think that I accomplished with the ultimate MTB workout program was cover all the bases and integrate them in a way that no other training program uh, does. But on top of that, I incorporate these exercises in 
to that training plan because again, it's a MTB specific training plan. And along with having the basics covered, I've got these little extra things in there that make it a little bit more mountain bike specific. Uh, the 40 plus MTB rider program, uh, my, my uh, ride, you know, training program for the 40 plus year old uh, mountain biker also incorporates a lot of these uh, movements and concepts into it. I uh, will say I don't have the elevated lunge in that program yet because it is something relatively new. But again, that's easy. Like I said, if you know it has lunges in it and you can simply just put a box down and, and start doing an elevated lunge in the place of a regular lunge. But both of those programs, really all my programs have these things in there. But those are kind of the two top ones that I would recommend that if you're looking for a training program to take the guesswork out, you don't have to you know, worry about trying to figure these things out on your own, then the Ultimate MTB Workout Program and the 40 plus MTB rider training program will do that for you. And so, uh, so that's going to do it. Um, hopefully you guys have gotten some, some good ideas from this and, and just some ways to look at your training program and maybe tell like, Hey, you know, first take a look at it. And are, are you covering squat, push, pull, hinge, you know, in, in two to four reps, five to 10 rep range, is that making up the bulk of what you're doing? And if not, Maybe you need to make some changes there. And if you've got that covered and you don't have these extra exercises in there, then maybe you can figure out how to sprinkle them in. And again, I'm always available. If you guys have any questions, hit me up at james at bikejames.com. I'm, I'm always happy to help however I can. Uh, so cool. So before I go, I do actually want to give a plug to the Catalyst pedal. Uh, that is the uh, the bike pedal that I invented based on actual science and movement principles, not freaking marketing hype and outdated theories about the pedal stroke. And it is the best pedal for the 40 plus year old rider. Again, if you are making your living based on your performance on the bike, then maybe we can have some sort of argument about uh, the place of clipless pedals for you, but that's not where most of us are. Like once, you know, if you're a 40 plus year old rider, odds are you're doing this as a hobbyist. You, you, you may be racing, but you're not paying your bills based on it. And so flat pedals are your best option uh, for just, you, you know, helping to just keep you on the bike, right? Like if you can check out the flat pedal revolution manifesto to get all the science and, and, and the thoughts behind it. But flat pedals are a far superior way for you to ride your bike uh, over clipless pedals. And the catalyst pedal is the best flat pedal out there because it supports your foot in a natural way. Like by having a platform that's long enough to support both ends of your arch. It stabilizes the arch. It takes a lot of stress off of the, the, the plantar fascia, the Achilles tendon, the calf, knees, low back. A lot of cycling related uh, lower body pain is actually directly related to having poor uh, foot support. And so by supporting your foot properly, you're going to get rid of that pain. You're going to be able to, uh, because you have your foot supported better, you're going to be able to recruit your hips better. It's going to feel better standing up. It's going to feel better cornering. It just feels better all the way around, right? So for the 40 plus year old rider, the catalyst pedals are by far the best thing that you could put on your bike to help improve your performance and decrease your pain and just help you enjoy riding uh, you know, as long into life as, as you want. And so you can check them out at pedalinginnovations.com. Again, I've got a bunch of the science and other stuff posted there that you can, can check out. Uh, comes with a money back guarantee. Uh, again, we're, it's the only thing in the mountain bike industry that comes with a no questions asked money back guarantee because that's how strongly I believe in this product that if you try it, 
it doesn't work for you, great, send it back. But I've had so few people return them over the years because once you try them, you're like, holy crap, why didn't anybody think of this before? This is the way that my foot is supposed to feel when it's on the bike. So be sure to check out pedalinginnovations.com. And again, that's one of the ways to help support the show, you know, uh, buying my programs, um, investing in the Catalyst pedals. This definitely uh, helps support me and what I'm doing with the the Riding for a Lifetime podcast and my posts in general. Uh, Another thing you can do is make sure that you are on the newsletter. So at bikejams.com, you can sign up for my newsletter. When you sign up, you get a free isometric training program and I send you out the updates with links and stuff with the podcast. And uh, yeah, make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite uh, podcasting uh, platform. Leave a review if you can. You know, all these things help support the program or, and, and help support the podcast and uh, make it uh, easier for me to get the word out to other riders about what uh, about what I'm doing here and how this stuff can help them enjoy riding more now and, and for a lifetime to come. So anyway, so I'm going to wrap it up now. Uh, again, if, uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this info. If you got any questions or comments or suggestions for future shows, uh, hit me up at james at bikejames.com. Uh, but until then, I will talk to everybody next time.